Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. to understand the balance really of what Jesus is speaking here. My fig tree is a good fig tree, but every once in a while it produces a bad piece of fruit, just like in your life and mine. You can be a good tree and on occasion produce bad fruit, but my question is, what is the normal course of your life? What is the normal harvest of the fruit of your life? Is it mostly bad or is it mostly good? with a bad one every once in a while. Jesus said that a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. In today's message from Luke chapter 6, Pastor David expounds upon Jesus' words. Pastor David explains that a true Christian will have evidence of God working in his life. He will be more generous, kind, and loving than he was a year before because of the Spirit of God working inside him. This is the good fruit Jesus talks about. Conversely, no one can be a Christian and continuously produce the fruits of evil and rebellion. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Blind Leading Blind. can't say that I love Jesus on one hand and live like the world in the other. I am lying to myself and God knows the difference. But neither can I live myself or live my life under this continual burden of the law so fearful that at any moment, you know, man, if I step out of line, my whole relationship is destroyed. You see, there's too often that it's being preached, it's being taught in our society today that God is either this great law keeper in the sky that you step one step out of place and whack, he's going to whack you with a stick. And on the other hand, we have this doting grandfather that says, oh, that's okay, grandchild, you can do whatever you want. I love you. Both of those are wrong. Both of those are dangerous. Both of those have a blind understanding of who Christ really is and what the call of discipleship is. Sometimes ministries focus on one aspect of the Christian faith to the demise of others. There's no overall balance in their teaching or in their discipleship. Their church or their ministry seems to be all about one thing or one doctrine, and they miss the balance. They miss the fullness of the truth of God's Word by focusing in only a part of that truth. And that leaves the church either very myopic in its focus or it looks so much like the world that you can't tell the difference. We find the blind leading the blind. And they're both about to fall into a ditch. 
The Pharisees of Jesus' day, they, they wanted control over people. There's, there's just no doubt about it. They were control freaks. They wanted control over the people. They wanted control of every part of their lives. And when you read through all of the laws and the regulations that the Jews had to keep under the rabbinical law, it's absolutely bizarre, really and truly, over every area, how you wash your hands how and when and where you can travel on particular days of the week, how you and your spouse interact even in intimate ways. All of this they wanted to have control over. They, people were so underneath the burden of these things. And the Pharisees loved it because they, it gave them great importance. They were the blind leading the blind. And Jesus knew that they were heading for the ditch. Jesus declares that he's the way, he's the truth, and the life. He calls for us to follow after him. He promises not only to lead us into the paths of righteousness, but he reveals to us the heart of the Father. When we follow after Christ, we truly get to know the heart of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world, and when we follow after him, he sheds light on our path, and through that same light in our life, our true needs are revealed, and they're healed at the same time. Because as Jesus reveals these things, he's also powerful enough to come in and deliver us and heal us and to strengthen us in our journey. The church needs to stop following blind guides. They need to start following Jesus. And as we follow him, as we follow closely to him, we become really and truly a demonstration of who he is to a lost and dying world. The world ought to look at you and I and see Jesus. See Jesus. That's a heavy load, eh? Does the world see Jesus in me? When I'm impatiently standing in line at the grocery store, mine was the shortest line. Now this long line, they're done and I'm still standing here. Are they going to see Jesus in me? Are they Are going to see Jesus in me when I'm in the restaurant and once again they got my order wrong? Or the waitress went right by and ignored me? Are they going to see Jesus in me? Are they going to see Jesus in me when my wife and I get into conflict? Now, we'd never get into conflict, but say if we did, would they, would they see Jesus in me? Do my children see Jesus in me? Jesus told them that day, verse 40, he said, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Now, this statement really has a twofold direction. There were those that continued to follow after the Pharisees' teaching, and they would never rise above those built-in prejudices, the, that, that condemnation, that judgmentalism that the Pharisees were so good at. They were perfectly trained in that. And the disciples of the Pharisees would become perfectly trained in being a good Pharisee. And yet for those who would follow hard after Jesus, their lives would be taking on the nature and the very essence of Christ. You know, if you pursue after the things of the world more than you pursue a relationship with Christ, you're going to become just like this world. You're not going to become like Christ. You're going to become like this world. 
You'll have the stench of the world all around you rather than the sweet aroma of Christ flowing out of your life. I want to be like Jesus. I want my life to be like Jesus. And I struggle in that just like you do. There's battles in my life just like there's battles in your life. There's some days, okay, man, it was a good day. There's other days that I think, man, I blew it time and time again. But I want to be like Jesus. And I realize that the only way that that happens in my life is as I live my life personally, purposefully seeking His will and His direction in every area of my life and then purposefully walking in obedience to what I know to be His truth. It's then and it's only then that I become like my teacher. Otherwise, I look way too much like the world. The hymn writer put it this way, Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. This is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures. Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee. Blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness and come in thy fullness. Stamp thine own image deep in my heart. Problem is, is when we move away from being like Jesus, our own heart moves away from that heart of mercy that we shared about a few weeks ago. And we start moving into that heart of judgment and condemnation. We no longer care for people with the heart of Jesus. We no longer look at people with the eyes of Jesus. Our eyes are filled with self There's no real care and concern for those that are around us. As I shared a couple of weeks ago, we all need to have a heart checkup on a regular basis. Our spiritual hearts, where are we? But I want to add to that this morning, this whole health move here. We, we, We also need eye examinations. Every one of us, we need eye examinations. Jesus continues on in his teaching. He says in verse 41, He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't perceive the plank in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Interesting thing. It's a Declaration, it's not unique to Jesus, actually, in Jewish literature and Greek literature of that time and before that time. Similar kind of saying was there, but you need to understand here how Jesus is bringing this home. He, that, that, that word for speck in the Greek is karphos. Karphos has a meaning of like a, a little piece of straw or, or grain or something. You're outside, the wind's blowing, and, you know, a piece of grass or something gets in your eye. That's what he's speaking about there. But the word for moat or plank, depending upon your version, the word for that is the Greek word dokos. And dokos had this meaning of a, a very large piece of lumber. As a matter of fact, it's like the large piece of lumber that you would set the roofing joists or the uh, the, the ceiling, uh, the, the roof of the house upon to support the roof of a house. So quite a bit of difference between these two. And when you think about it, this whole saying is crazy. 
I mean, can you imagine someone coming and walking up to you, and he's got this big plank sticking out of his eye, and he says, hey, let me, let me help you with this little speck that's in your eye. You would look at him and say, whoa, no, get away from me. Get away from me. But Jesus uses this mass exaggeration to help us to understand how quickly we are to judge others without really having self-examination of ourselves. He says, you hypocrites. It's a pretty powerful word. You're a liar to yourself. You're a liar to others. You're a liar to God. You're a hypocrite. He says, first remove that plank from your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. You see, if, if, if I've got that plank in my own eye, sticking out there and knocking into everything, that means that I, I'm not walking in a heart of mercy. And it's way too easy for me to point out the fault of another because I'm walking around with this critical heart issue. And I believe that more often than not, we ignore our own failures, being really quick to point out the fault of others in order to hide our own. No, don't focus in on me. I want to talk about your problem today. Don't make me think about my weakness. I want to see your weakness, and we're going to deal with your problem. Rather than in humility, realizing, man, I've got great needs within my own life. I better start acting with mercy to those that are all around me. It's when I first fully recognize my own faults that I can then begin to move in mercy, to be able to assist that brother who's dealing with issues in their own life or that sister. That's when I'm able to move with empathy. That's when I'm able to move with love rather than judgment. The Pharisees, on the other hand, you need to realize they had a full-on forest coming out of their eyes. And this huge forest that's coming out of their eyes, they're trying to control the lives of others, and they're judgmental and they're critical on everyone because of that. And they continue to move on in that judgment against others. This heart of Phariseeism, not only was it alive then, but you know what, beloved? The unfortunate reality is it's alive and well even today in our churches. Ever since the church began, they've been dealing with it. Paul speaks about it in several of his letters. He tells the church of of Rome and and for you and I today in Romans 14.4, he says, who are you? Who are you to judge another servant? When you think about it that way, it kind of puts a little bit more power on it too. Who do you think you are to judge another servant? To his own master, he stands or he falls. And indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. When you and I walk in judgment against others, the word of God comes to us and says, who do you think you are? Standing in judgment against someone else. James, in his writings, he warns us in James chapter 4, verse 12. He says, there's only one lawgiver. I think in parenthesis he might have had, and it ain't you. There's only one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. And then James asks that same question. Who are you to judge another? Now, I don't know if you catch the irony of this, but James is the one that we all look to and says, wow, his writings are so strict and so hard. Hey, if you have faith, this is the way you ought to be walking. If you're not walking in that kind of faith, then you're not really a believer. But then it's James that comes up and says, but you know what? You ought not be judging one another. 
That's because James' writing is to you and I personally. It's not for me to take it and pound somebody else. I need to get that beam out of my own eye. Charles Spurgeon declares, we're, we're all too ready to condemn others and to be lenient on ourselves. It would be wise to act out the precisely opposite principle, making every excuse for others and accepting none for ourselves. How easy it is to excuse our own sinfulness and weaknesses and yet offer absolutely no mercy on our brothers or sisters in our midst. These things ought not be so, especially in the church of Jesus Christ. It ought not be so. All of these things, they really come about because of the fruit of our life. What kind of a fruit is being produced in our lives? It demonstrates really who we really and truly are as believers. And who we truly are is shown by that fruit of our lives. Jesus told his disciples, still here in Luke 6, down in verse 43. He says, a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. At our house, I've shared this with you before, we've got a citrus tree, we've got a fig tree, we've got some grape bushes. I, I love them. I, I love the fact that I can go out in the right season and I can pluck uh, good uh, figs off of our fig tree. I can go to our, our grape bushes and then we can get clusters of grapes. We can go to our citrus tree and get the citrus off there at the right time. But let me tell you about another tree this morning. This is a tree that's native to Florida, to the Bahamas, to the Caribbean, and to Central and South America. It, it flowers and it bears fruit that look like little green apples. The flowers are similar to apple blossoms and the fruit is similar to little green apples. It's called the Manchinel tree. The Manchinel tree. It's innocent looking, but according to Guinness Book of World Records, it's the world's most dangerous tree. The Spanish name, excuse my Spanish here, is Manzanilla de la Muerte, the little apple of death, the little apple of death. According to several sources, just standing underneath that tree during a rainstorm can cause blisters to come out on your skin as the drops of rain hit its leaves and then drop and make contact with your skin. If you decide to cut the tree down and burn it, the smoke from that tree as it burns can cause blindness. If you eat the fruit, those little green apples, it'll cause swelling of your esophagus and the potential for a complete uh, blockage of your airway. Not only that, but it also causes internal bleeding, shock, and a bacterial superinfection. Back in the day, the Carib Indians used to use the sap on their arrows. And they used to use the leaves of that tree to poison the water supply of their enemies. And sometimes if they caught their enemies, they would literally tie them to that tree to ensure just a slow and a painful death. Now, whatever else you might consider that Manchiel tree to be, 
want to tell you this morning one certain thing. It's a bad tree. And it produces bad fruit. Nothing on it's good. You need to understand the balance really of what Jesus is speaking here. My fig tree is a good fig tree. But every once in a while it produces a bad piece of fruit. Just like in your life and mine. You can be a good tree and on occasion produce bad fruit. But my question is, what is the normal course of your life? What is the normal harvest of the fruit of your life? Is it mostly bad or is it mostly good with a bad one every once in a while? My citrus tree is is a good tree, but sometimes it just does not produce very well. This year was one of those years. It just did not produce very well at all. But it's a good tree, and in the normal course of things, it produces good fruit. But this manchal tree, it's a bad tree. And it's always going to put out bad fruit. Why? Because that's the normal course of things for that tree. So what, church? What is the normal course of the fruit of your life? And again, I'm not saying we never have bad days. We never blow it in some ways. But what's the normal in your life? What can people count on in your life? Does the fruit of your life bring nourishment to others, or are you poisonous to others? When you're with other people, do you bring a refreshing spirit into that meeting, or does it bring people harm to be even near you? Are you causing the closest ones to you to die a slow and a painful emotional or spiritual death? Or do you bring nourishment to their souls? Jesus said a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. It's so important that we have a regular spiritual heart checkup. That we have regular spiritual Eye examinations. Jesus tells us here that a good check of our condition of our heart is to see what kind of fruit comes out of our lives. What are the attributes of our lives? And as you pause and you consider your life this past week, can you honestly say before God that good things, that godly, that righteous things have come out of your life and out of your heart this past week, both in your private life as well as how you dealt with your family, with your co-workers and neighbors as well as the public at large, even those that might bring an attack against you, even those that might bring a railing accusation against you. Has the fruit of your life been good fruit? Or have you been coming out of this whole idea of having poisonous bad fruit in your life? When the world sees you, does it see the presence and power of Jesus? Or does it see no good thing? Are you walking around with this beam in your eye, trying to correct everybody around you when there's so many things within your own life that you need to get straight? Are you quick to excuse your own sin while you bring judgment and condemnation on others? Jesus says everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Who's your teacher? Who is 
your mask. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.